Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You've probably never heard of the nation called Liberland. Um, it's, it's not one that you've located on a map before. Uh, it's actually just a, just a small parcel of land along the Danube River in between Croatia and Serbia. Now, Liberland is only about 2.7 square miles, which for point of reference is about a square mile larger than the city limits of Chickamauga. Uh, so Liberland is, is not much bigger than the city that some of you call home. And Liberland has a very complex history. It's found in a region that's been occupied by various powers over the years. It's been Yugoslavia in the past. It's been in the Austro-Hungarian Empire in the past. And really what it boils down to is a simple dispute between how Croatia and Serbia define their, their borders. One country claims that their border is the Danube River. Uh, However, the river has changed course over the years. In the 19th century, the Austro-Hungarian Empire actually worked to straighten the river to make it easier to navigate. But in doing so, they created a land dispute for future nations. Not only that, but the Danube River has meandered over the years, leaving this small parcel of land in between these two sovereign nations ultimately up for grabs. There is one guy who's made a claim on the property. His name is, is, I can't pronounce it because I speak English. It's something like Vit Yedlika. And he is a libertarian from, uh, he's a Czechoslovakian or Czech Republic libertarian. And he unfurled the Liberland flag on April 15th, 2015. They're in the land of Liberland. Mr. Yedlika has been arrested frequently by the Croatian authorities for his attempts to enter into his uh, sovereign nation. To this day, though, no one really acknowledges the presence of the nation of Liberland. You guys now know something that a lot of people don't. However, if you would like to apply for citizenship in Liberland, you can submit an application at liberland.org. Although I don't know what that does to your U.S. citizenship if you, choose, if you choose to do so. Keep in mind, however, before you become a citizen of this future libertarian utopia, that the entire nation exists within a floodplain of the Danube River, and there's absolutely no infrastructure there. So if you go visit, you don't have internet or flushing toilets or anything like that. So, uh, so do so at your own risk. But hey, it's a libertarian utopia, so everything goes there. Oh, and you might get arrested by the Croatian authorities for attempting to visit, and I'm not exactly sure what that means to be arrested by the Croatians, but it sounds bad. Uh, I don't know that I want to be arrested by Croatians. You know, last week we followed the Apostle Paul and his companions as they also unfurled the flag. Now, it wasn't the flag of Liberland. This time the flag was for a different kingdom. And this time the flag was unfurled, not in the midst of an unclaimed territory disputed by generations of border, border claims, but it was actually unfurled in the middle of one of Rome's great cities. G. Campbell Morgan said it best. He said, how little the world knows of the divine appointments. Rome had small idea that day that the van of the army of its ultimate conqueror had taken possession of one of its frontal defenses. 
On the day when Paul hurried from Neapolis over the eight miles up to Philippi and came into the city and made arrangements for his own lodging, the flag was planted in a frontier colony of Rome, which eventually was to make necessary the lowering of her flag and the change of world history. It was no mass invasion of a conquering army, but rather a small forward assault by a by brave band of brothers. And in short order, they had already won their first converts and established a base in the Roman Empire, and this work was just beginning. Today I want us to continue the story from the city of Philippi, beginning in Acts chapter 16 and verse 16. If you've got your place, I would encourage you to stand as we read these words from Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 24. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. I still think it was a good idea. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them, into the, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the testimony and courage of these missionaries who, whose lives were, were they gave away so much for the sake of the cross. And Lord, may they be an inspiration to each one of us. May we faithfully follow you as they did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, we pick up where we left off last week, and we, we see that Paul and his companions may have used this place of prayer as a, as a common stop. It's where Lydia, of course, came to faith in Christ, and it's likely a, a place where they, they kept going back to. It was a place where they found the soil, the soil of that, that, that gospel soil to be fertile there, and so they kept going back to plant those good seeds. But in the process of doing so, they pinged the radar of the enemy, this time, though, instead of violence and persecution, uh, the devil used a little bit of a different tactic, at least at first. In modern combat, we might call this psychological warfare, but here this is clearly spiritual warfare. Now, if you're reading this, on, on the surface of this, it's pretty dark, right? We have a little girl who's tragically being used to make money by her owners, taking advantage of a terrible spiritual situation. And every time I read about this little girl, I can't help but think about the gross problem we have today of child trafficking. It's despicable behavior today. It was a despicable behavior then. But in order to really and truly understand what was going on here, we need to dig into this language just a little bit more. We read in verse 16 that this little girl had a, a spirit of, of divination. 
Now recognize what I'm about to tell you is going to give some of you the heebie-jeebies for quite a while. Literally, it said that she had the spirit of Python. And what does that mean? Actually, the, the Greek word here is where we actually get our word python from. And so this little girl is possessed by what we would know as what we would call a, 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 the demon of a snake in the original language. Now, again, I know some of you will have nightmares about this, but this girl is possessed by a snake demon. Like, that's a horror movie for some of y'all, I know. Uh, according, to, uh, according to legend... Python was a snake that guarded the temple of Apollo and was eventually killed by Apollo. And the word python came to mean a demon-possessed person through whom the snake spirit spoke. So some of you Harry Potter fans that, uh, that are thinking about the old, uh, the old Slytherin and the parcel tongue, uh, J.K. Rowling may have actually done some homework and, and got there by looking at some ancient myths. But this little girl was filled with demons, snake demons, that could see and tell the future. And her owners had no shame in cashing in on her condition. Now, for a time, though, the demons in this little girl, they turned their attention from fortune-telling into fighting against this subtle invasion of the kingdom of God into territory that they claimed. And this encounter with the snake demon reminds us of a very critical point. The invasion of the kingdom of God must avoid subtle compromises. It is a subtle invasion into this world, and it must also avoid those subtle compromises. Listen, there's no doubt that this little girl was declaring the truth. There's nothing dishonest about what she was saying. She was declaring 100% truth. These men are servants of the Most High God. They are declare, she is declaring to everyone who will hear that they are here, they are messengers from God, and they are here to declare the truth. So she is very much declaring the truth. She even says, they are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. If you want to be saved, listen to what these guys are saying. Listen, on paper, what she is saying is, is, a, is a great introduction for what they're there to do. The problem is not the introduction, the problem is the introduction. The problem is that everywhere they went and everything they did, this little girl was declaring these words. Every single thing they did, she was declaring these words. They had a little herald that was with them, and she was declaring to anyone who would listen and a whole lot of people who weren't interested in listening who these men actually were. I would imagine, again, just a guess, that such actions would lead to the gathering of significant crowds. Wouldn't you? Here's a little girl. Everybody knew her. She was a fortune teller, right? Uh, everybody knew that if you wanted your fortune told, go talk to the little girl. Go talk and, and, and pay her, pay her quote-unquote parents, and she'll tell your future. And so now suddenly this little girl, who was known as the fortune teller of Philippi, who's possessed by a snake demon, now she is out here declaring who these men are, and everybody wants to come and see who, what's changed in this little girl's life that now she's out here declaring these bold, bold statements about these men. So wander into a city square. Let this little girl announce who you are a few times and then turn Paul loose to preach the gospel. That's a, that's a good strategy, right? Right? Everybody's going to hear. On the surface, it seems like a good strategy. The biggest problem, however, was the simple fact that everyone in town knew who this little girl was. Everybody knew what this little girl was about. Everybody knew 
that she has. They, they said this about her. She has the spirit of Python. She is possessed by the snake demon. Now, maybe for these missionaries to gain this, this crowd of listeners, this crowd of hearers, maybe to do so they just might need to make a little tiny deal with the devil. Let this little girl announce our presence. But this raises just a simple question. How can you point people to Jesus when you've made an allegiance with the demonic? How can you point people to Christ when you've made partners with the enemy? You see, this serves as a very important reminder that the ends justify the means is not a valid ethic in the work of God's kingdom. Sometimes churches will compromise on things because it gets to a good end, but the means are valid and important. Had these missionaries decided to let this little girl continue to speak, they might have been able to continue to share the gospel and more people might have heard the gospel, but at what cost? Because in a sense, using her like that would really have been no different than her owners using her to make money through fortune-telling. Either way, she was being used against her own wishes, against her own desire. Either way, her condition was being exploited for the sake of the purposes of those who were doing the exploitation. Perhaps the outcome was more noble, but the little girl was still being used. We have to be on our guard in trying to reach our neighbors that we understand the gospel will stand on its own. We have to understand that the gospel is sufficient. We certainly want to use the platforms that God has given us to communicate the gospel, but we mustn't embrace less nobler things of this world or even worse, the things that are demonic to achieve our purposes. We find out that this little girl harassed the team for many days, is what the text says. You know, there's a lot of speculation about why it took so long to take action. If she was so irritating, which it had to be irritating, if she was so frustrating, then why did it take so long for them to figure out what to do? I imagine the problem was simply that. It took a while to figure out what to do. It wasn't like they had a child advocacy group that they could call. They couldn't pick up the phone and call Defax and say, hey, there's a, there's, a group of, there's a set of parents here posing as parents who are exploiting this kid, who are taking advantage of her, because they knew that whatever actions they took were going to have some ramifications. Just ask anyone today who works in education or who works around children in childcare and things like that. We even have that experience here. We know that when we pick up the phone to report someone to defects, that we're taking action that comes with ramifications. We know that. We, we understand that, that that phone call comes with a cost. Even still, it doesn't mean that we don't make the call. Every time you make the call, you know there's going to be ramifications that come with it, but you still have to make the call. Ultimately, this little girl's demonic attack was frustrating them, and it was affecting the work which led Paul to act. And with all the authority of Jesus, Paul turned and spoke to the python demon and said, in the name of Jesus, get out. That's a, that's a powerful moment. This little girl whose whole life, as far as we know, had been afflicted and affected by this demon in that moment, it says in that hour, her her demeanor changed, her condition changed. She was no longer under the power and under the spell of this demon. And suddenly this young lady who had spent her whole childhood being the catalyst of her master's financial gain was freed from her oppression and she was free to be a child again. You know, the invasion of the kingdom cannot fear the cost of truth. 
The subtle invasion of the kingdom cannot fear the cost of truth. The decision Paul made to set this little girl free from her spiritual bondage, it may have changed her life. Many speculate that she became a Christian at this moment, although we don't know. But we also know that this decision, it changed the life of her owners, didn't it? It changed the life of her owners in a way that they weren't too fond of. Because right here at this moment, it was Paul's gospel mission. It ran headlong into their economic mission. And when the gospel runs into those economic matters, you will quickly find out where people stand. You see, what these people were doing was wrong any way you slice it. What they were doing was, was unethical, it was immoral, it was demonic. There was no way around it. And it took Paul and his companions and the authority in which they spoke to finally and ultimately deal with it. And it should come as no surprise to us that these people were not at all happy about the situation. We're told in verse 19 again, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. You see, this little girl was certainly drawing attention. But what drew the most attention was not her demonic possession what drew the most attention was when the demons actually left. Paul and Silas, the full-blooded Jews on this missionary team, they were drug into the square for an impromptu trial. There were elements of anti-Semitism. You hear it, these men are Jews! And dishonesty, much like so many of the other mock trials in the New Testament. Now, they perhaps knew they wouldn't get traction by accusing them of freeing this little girl from her oppression, so they went for the greater sin in that society. These men were not disrupting our income. These men were actually disrupting Rome. They were advocating things that were not palatable to these Roman sensibilities. Truth comes with a cost. It's not a hard leap for us today to see how our gospel work as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ runs headlong into the wall of our depraved civilization. The quickest way to find out who's a friend and who's not is by pointing out today that there are things that are objectively true. Right? That's a very unpopular opinion today, that there are things that are objectively true. I won't get into the weeds here because so much of that conversation is adult-oriented there are some in the church today who, who wish that, that we would stop talking about this so much, declaring that it's not a gospel issue, but I do believe it's a gospel issue, and hear this very clearly. There is no gospel if there is no truth. There is no gospel if there is no truth. You can make the same case that the little girl in her demon possession was not a gospel issue. She wasn't hurting anybody, but what they were doing to her was objectively wrong. There's no way to look at it any other way. And in our confrontation with sin, we have to be able to agree today that there are things that are objectively wrong. Otherwise, you can never get to our ultimate need for a Savior. If wrong is defined by me, my wants, and my background, and my desires, if sin is defined by our opinions, our attitudes, and the prevailing winds of our culture, then listen, we are in serious trouble. Because rebellion against God can only be defined by God. 
He's the only one who has the ultimate say in what true rebellion looks like. And the solution for that rebellion is saving faith in Jesus. The end. That's it. Verse 19 exposes this in no uncertain terms for us. It doesn't say that the girl's owners were concerned about her health or well-being. It says it very clearly. They saw their meal ticket was gone. This little girl that they had been exploiting, that they had been taken advantage of, was freed from her bondage. Our missionaries learned that standing on that which is objectively true is costly. And we understand today that it is becoming more and more costly. We have to be careful today that we also know what the truth is. And it's getting harder to know what the truth is. There are some things that we honestly don't know whether they're true or not. We don't know. We have to avoid the temptation to allow our social media echo chambers to define truth for us. Listen, we are far better off letting God declare what is true rather than Facebook. Amen? We are far better off standing on the truth revealed to us in Scripture rather than that which is declared to us from our social media overlords. But we also need to make sure that we do not neglect the primacy of the gospel for these other things. Listen, the main problem in Philippi was not that there was a little girl who was demon-possessed. Was that tragic? It absolutely was. Was it terrifying? Absolutely terrifying. It was horrible. But the main issue in Philippi was that there were lots and lots of lost people who needed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the, today, the main problem in our civilization today is not abortion. It's not some other culture war issue. The main problem today is that we have a terrible vacancy of gospel truth. Again, I'm not suggesting that these other things aren't terrible and awful and wrong, and we should work to make sure these things are, are stopped. But the true answer to our problems is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're over here, we're getting really, really upset because the next generation of smartphones are getting ready to have emojis that feature pregnant men. That's certainly a truth issue. But I think the bigger problem is a gospel issue. It's a representative of the simple reality that our culture has forsaken the truth that we are made in the image of God and that our sin has corrupted that image. That is what is ultimately and finally true. And all these other things that we look at in our civilization that are so backwards and wrong and upside down are really symptomatic of a greater problem. And the correction for this problem is, is not outrage or cancel culture, but the solution for the problem is a church that is absolutely, finally, and ultimately committed to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Satan has been successful at anything in the church today, it is this. The culture war has been escalated to the main focus while the gospel has been relegated to something of less importance. It's a simple question. What's more offensive to us today? The fact that there is some gross manifestation of human sin that manages to sneak its way into our daily lives, and it seems that these things are sneaking into our daily lives more and more, or the fact that there are simply millions and millions of people who don't see any problem with it because they don't understand the truth of the gospel. The greater problem is not the symptom, but the cause. 
And the cause is that we've got lost people who need to know who Jesus is. That's the ultimate problem. Here's the thing. Whenever we're confronted with these challenges, whenever we're put into the public square like Paul and Silas were, whenever we're called to give an account for what we believe, the truth of the matter is this. You never know where the next offensive will take place in the subtle kingdom invasion. The situation for Paul and Silas went from bad to worse. One minute they're freely walking the streets of Philippi dealing with this little girl, and the next moment they're put through a mock trial, and then they're locked in stocks, in solitary confinement, with freshly scarred backs. Be honest, if I went on a mission trip to Philippi, this is not the pathway I would have chose. Uh, if I went on a mission trip to anywhere, it's not the pathway that I would have chose for myself. I prefer the freedom to walk around the community rather than being beaten with rods and locked in stocks in the jail. I wouldn't want to be arrested for Cro- by Croatian authorities just simply trying to get into a land that's not real. I'd hate to know that I was arrested by hostile forces because of my commitment to Christ. This is not the pathway that Paul and Silas would have chose, but truth came with a cost. And that cost would put them in a place where God was ready to do a miracle in them and through them and around them. What happens next is stirring We need to understand today that the gospel that we preach is not going to be well-received by a watching world. We as Christians are not called to be popular. We're not called to be trendy. We're not called to be celebrities. We're simply called to be faithful. And faithfulness might just lead us into some very bleak circumstances. It did for Paul... It certainly can for us as well. I was thinking about the punishment that Paul and Silas received and and how cruel this punishment was. Again, it's nowhere on the level of crucifixion, but just the intention of these magistrates and rulers and their punishment was was horrific. I'm about to do something that's going to drive our camera operator crazy, but, but we're told that their backs were beaten with rods. Again, don't know if it's like the cat of nine tails where their back is lacerated, but still sounds terrible, right? Still sounds awful to have your clothes stripped and to be beaten with, with rods on your back. And then they were put in jail with their feet in stocks. Now, again, I, I've been, on a, been to a tourist trap before outside of a pirate museum, and they had the stocks that were outside the door, and, and I've got a picture of, my, of myself in the stocks. And, and, you know, the stocks I'm familiar with are, you know, my hands go in and my head goes in and the, the, the board comes down over the top and I'm, I'm kind of latched there. And that's miserable. I mean, it, you know, being in that position for, for just a couple of seconds is, is awful because you can't put your head down because then your esophagus is sitting on the wood, so you got to kind of hold yourself. But this says their feet are in the stocks. I had to think about that for a minute. And, and these guys, what it says is that their, their feet are in the stocks, which means that they had to be seated with their feet latched in stocks. And they had to stay like this. Now, again, you guys feel free to join me in the floor and sit like this for the rest of the sermon. Because what's going to happen is that the only thing that's going to be comfortable for you is what? you got to lay down. Because this is going to get exhausting on your, your back. And, and, you know, unless you've got just rock-hard abs and a, and a super strong core, which we're Baptists, which means we don't, uh, <laughs> this is going to be absolutely exhausting. And so you have to lay back. 
Well, what's the problem with laying back if your name's Paul and Silas? Your back has been beaten with rods, and so you're stuck there in pain if you're sitting up, in pain if you're laying down, in pain all night long. And they got here. Why? Because of a commitment to the truth. Because they freed a little girl from bondage by the power of Jesus. Being punished for saving a little girl. Being punished for delivering this little girl from evil. Being punished for submitting to Jesus. But it was in that agonizing moment where they sat there in the stocks, beaten in solitary confinement, that God had prepared for them another remarkable reward for their faithfulness. Have you found yourself today distracted by issues that are not the main issue? It's easy. Man, it's easy. Because everything is chirping at us and chatting at us and yelling at us and screaming at us about all these things that should anger us and frustrate us and all these issues that, are, that are, are, are so heartbreaking for us today. It's so easy for these things to, to take on such primacy in our lives. And I'm not for a second suggesting that these things are unimportant. But I would say that they're not the main thing. Do you find yourself today more offended by the various offensive of the culture war and less troubled by the gross amount of lostness that is driving those battles? We, as God's people, need to remember that we are participants in a subtle invasion that is seeking to push back the darkness in a lost and dying world. And what God is calling us to do is not win the battles of the culture war, But what God is calling us to do is to unfurl the flag of the kingdom in as many places as our feet will take us. The Apostle Paul and Silas were not going to conquer Philippi overnight. They weren't going to win over every demon possession. They weren't going to see every Roman come to faith in Jesus, but they did see some. And the consequences of that work is that there was a new church started in Philippi, and it probably met at the house of Lydia. And so God then had a base of operations, an embassy there in the city of Philippi where many, many, many more people came to faith in Jesus. And the call is the same for us today. God is calling us to unfurl the flag of the kingdom of God in as many places as our feet will take us. And so I would ask the question today, are you helping to establish beachheads in these areas? Maybe in your school, if not your school, maybe your classroom, maybe in your place of business, maybe in the place that you do your commerce. Everywhere we go, are we seeking to unfurl the flag of the kingdom? Or are we busy worrying about how different these areas are from what we're comfortable with? I know, I've been there, right? You, you walk into some strange place and you think how different it is from what you, you believe is right. I mean, you, we, we see it on the streets. We see somebody walking by who's clearly practicing some behaviors that we know are, are, are questionable and, 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 and not friendly to the things of God. And, and we immediately are, are drawn and disgusted and, and, and all those sorts of thoughts that go through our head. But really, those things are just symptoms of a much greater Ill, illness 
And that illness is lostness. That illness is people who simply don't know who Jesus is. I'm as troubled as anybody by the nonsense that we're confronted with. But God is reminding me more and more each and every single day that all of the nonsense is a symptom. It's not the cause. The cause is hearts that are far away from Jesus. The cause are people who are lost in darkness. The cause are people who, just like that little girl, are, are possessed by something other than the Spirit of Christ. And our job as, people of, as the people of God is to make sure that we're pointing people back to Jesus. For some of you today, you're under the sound of my voice, and I want to make sure today that you don't miss the gospel because you're treating symptoms but missing the root cause. And the truth is this. We must be firmly committed to it and stand behind it wholly. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to save sinners. Amen? That's it. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to save sinners, and that's something that each and every single one of us have in common. We are all sinners, and we come short of God's perfect standards. We are all sinners, and the only solution to change that situation for us and to make us feel better about ourselves, to make us embrace who, who Christ has made us to be, the only solution for that is to embrace this simple truth that God loves you so very much that he wants to save you from your sin and he wants to adopt you as his son and his daughter. I like to think that that little girl in Philippi gave her life to Christ. That little girl who had been manipulated and used and abused and taken advantage of for her whole life, who had owners instead of parents. I like to think that in that moment when Paul said, be healed, that that little girl met her father for the very first time. And not those evil people that were taking advantage of her, but a God in heaven who loves her so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and he sent Paul to free her from her bondage. Some of you today, maybe you're watching from home, maybe you're in the room. More than anything in this world today, you need to give your life to Jesus because of what he's done for you. What he's done on your behalf, you need to follow Christ. I would love to have an opportunity in this time of invitation to have that conversation with you about what it means to trust Jesus, to follow Christ. With that being said, let's go to the Lord together. Father, we live in a dark world with countless distractions, countless manifestations of, of nonsense, things that are being communicated as truth. And we as the church... We stand on that which we declare to be absolute truth. That there's a God in heaven. He made us in his image and likeness. We have tarnished that image through sin. But because of his great love for us, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. But, the de but death could not hold him. He was raised again on the third day. And therefore guaranteeing all those who were in him that they too don't have to fear death. Such a profound message that is lost on innumerable ears today. And we see the side effects of the fall everywhere we look. We see the side effects of human sin everywhere we, you know, we turn on the television. And so many of those side effects are offensive to us. They are troubling to us. 
they are disturbing to us. But God, let us be reminded over and over again that those are the symptoms of a much greater and much more sinister disease. But it is a disease that the cure has already been delivered. And it's delivered by people like us in our day-to-day lives looking for places where the kingdom of flag has not yet been unfurled. And so perhaps it's at our neighbor's house, that guy that we only talk to when we're doing yard work. Perhaps it's in our classroom with that young person that we're not sure where they stand, but they've asked questions, and so we seek to give godly, wise answers. Maybe it's with our doctor or... Maybe it's with that waitress at the restaurant that we go to all the time. But Lord, give us hearts that are inclined by our words, by our actions, by our love to point people to the good news of Jesus. And Lord, if there's any here today, perhaps any watching from home, that right now they more than anything in this world, need to trust and follow Jesus, then may today be a day in which they find Christ. And they find him not with judgmental fingers extended, but with nail scars, hands extended. They find him having paid the penalty for their sins. They find him ready to forgive and free and deliver. God, I pray that you might move now in this time, in this space. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.